No other king could vanquish the warhorse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father, Son, Savior of the world and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. Stuff like that makes you want to jump up and shout, doesn't it? It's incredible. We have a king that we are, in, we are walking with right now that started something um, a long time ago. And it's this week here that, that really begins to, uh, we begin to observe it in a different way. And uh, we're going to really just kind of tie that into what we're talking about here. But Palm Sunday is really one of the most, uh, one of the most biggest statements that have ever been made in the course of the world. It's one of the biggest statements. It's political, it's, it's, it's personal, it's spiritual, it's all this different. It's everything. It's just an announcement that literally changed everything. And it really applies to so much in our lives. And um, we're, in a, we're in a series right now called Running, we're closing up a series today called Running in Circles, um, where we talked about um, how Jesus commands us to love people, to love others just like he loved others us. And so when you take that in consideration of all that today and all of that this week means, it really begins to change everything about the way that we begin to see people. John 15 talks about it in this way. It says, um, Jesus commands us. He said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so when you think about that in context of Palm Sunday, in context of Good Friday and Easter weekend, you really begin to think of all, you, you, you can begin to almost hush in the awe of really all that that means. 
of all that that means. And you say, okay, God, how do you want me to, to do that? How do you suggest that I am even capable of loving another person the way that you are? And, and, and so he begins to engage with that and all that that means with grace and all that that means with us and, and, and being empowered by him. But the Bible, you begin to ask questions about what does the Bible say? How do I love someone like Jesus loved? And the Bible really gives us a, a bunch of different ways. And we looked at um, seven of them throughout the course of this series. And real fast, it's, it says the love in the Bible is, number one, you commit to them. You make a rugged commitment, a covenant, um, just like God did with us. You make a covenant with someone to support them. And you, that means you're fueling them and refueling them to really come up underneath them in a way that helps them grow and become more like Christ. It says that you're with them, that you're a safe person, that you will, uh, safety means defanging the failures of life, you know, just kind of defanging the circumstances that, that can come sometimes get sunk into who we are um, as, we, as we pursue him and grow. It means that you're for them, that you push them to, to give them a next step to become more about who they are, to become more, to take more responsibility for their own growth, to really push them to become more that God has created them to become. It means that you're unto them, that you help build structure. You're an external structure for an internal change, that Jesus changes us internally, but really it's the people around us that create that external structure for that internal reality. And then you have, you, uh, you, if you love them like Jesus loved them, you're going to be united and you're going to resolve conflict in a way that, that Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 say you close the gap directly with them and you become about resolving that conflict. And today what we're going to do is talk about the one thing. We're going to talk about filling and how you can be trusted. We're going to talk about the one thing that really will make all of this unravel. And without it and in the mix, really the other six are almost not possible. And that's the ability to trust. And so when you're loving people like this, um, you're going you're gonna to interact with different relationships that you have in your life. And what we've been saying is that over the, there's always four corners that your relationship can find itself in. And corner one is a disconnected corner. There might be people that you're connected to in relationship with that you just don't feel any connection to. And you, like, l- forget loving them. You, forget loving you. They don't, you're not even sure if they like you and vice versa. So there's just a disconnection. There's nothing going on. There's no charge. But then corner number two is bad connection, meaning like um, you, know, you, you so badly are seeking their approval and all they're doing is withdrawing from you and withholding you, withholding from you. And all it does is the relationship just makes you feel bad. It makes you feel hurt. It makes you feel like you've been um, maybe hit or, or abused or it just makes you feel bad. So corner two is just a bad connection. Corner three, after all that disconnection, all that bad connection, corner three is the fake connection where you just man, you just want to feel better. And so you begin to pursue uh, maybe, maybe people or substances um, that are going to help you just feel better so that you don't have to actually heal or actually engage with the relationships that are in corner one or corner two. And it's a little bit easier to engage with. And then, but really, loving in the Bible, and when you, when you want to love someone like Jesus loved, it's going to take place in a true corner four connection. And that's where all the ingredients of, of loving in the Bible are at work within that connection, that they're supportive, that they're building you, that they're creating structure, that they're, that they're safe, and they help you defang failure. And there, so there's all these things that are in the mix of a true corner for relationship. 
And so the, what the, the Bible actually says, though, is that, uh, that trust is a, a massive piece that corner four, it, you're just never going to get to corner four unless there's this ability to trust. And so um, the, if, if you think about it this way, uh, have you ever been on a plane um, that was being flown uh, by a new pilot, maybe? Nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants that. When I, a few weeks ago, my, my wife and I were flying back from, uh, from a trip, and, and we just were in a spot where um, we, we're, we're in a spot where we're coming in, we're, fly, we're flying out of Chicago into Providence, and um, it just was a windy, windy day, right? And you just think, okay, you know, just, you're anxious anyway, you're not really sure. Nobody in that moment wants to hear the, 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 the stewardess come on and say, but we got a new pilot today. <laughs> it's his first time. Never, his first time out on his own, never done this before. So give him a lot of trust, and you're like, well, no, no, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody, there's probably a reason why they don't ever announce that, right? Nobody wants to hear that because you put an incredible amount of trust in the pilot. And so our trip was nuts. The whole, like, the whole two hours were just lots of bumps, lots of different things, and then we're flying in. You, you, mentally, I'm thinking, okay, uh, I'm sure this will smoothen out as we begin to, to go down. It just gets worse, right? As they descend, it just things get, start to get worse, and, it, and the, the, the plane is going, you know, so if the plane has three different wheel, uh, three different sets of wheels, um, it was one of those landings where all three touched down at different times, and you're like... So we, got, we landed, everyone gave him a standing ovation, and, and I hope I never fly again, right? It's one of, those, one of those deals. Because you put an incredible amount of trust in the pilot. You know, the, the Bible really talks about trust um, in an interesting verse. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it might be a verse that you might have heard at a wedding or you might have read at your own wedding. Um, but in it, is a, it, it's, it gives us quite the, a different perspective on what trust is. And if we want to love like Jesus loved, we really should see what the Bible talks about when, when it comes to love. And it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And so you see this concept of love in the Bible of saying that love is, if love is active and present within a relationship, there's going to be an abundance of trust. I, I had a pastor in college that said to me, hey, if you really want to just kind of gauge where you're at according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, he said, take out the word love and put your name in there. Take out the word love and just kind of just put your name in there and just kind of see if the characteristics ring true or to see maybe give that list to a friend and see if those, they would confirm that those characteristics are present and active in your life. And I said, okay, um, I'm dead, right? Just go ahead and put me on the, li- on, on the shelf. I'm cooked. I'm all set. But, you know, you take out love, you, you, you put your name in there, you say, Brandon is patient. All done. Lost already. Like, not even there, right? Brandon is patient. Brandon is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He... Brandon does not dishonor others. It is, Brandon's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, think about how purifying a concept like that is. And so 
I don't know if you, you know, sit down in the morning and, and, and do maybe a, some sort of a devotion, but I'd encourage you tomorrow when you wake up is to really take this list and, and put your name in there. And, you know, and, and, and don't, you know, just put your name in there and see what type of list might, you know, might come out in that and see where it goes. Because when you talk about love being always trusting, all of these things are going to find its way into your relationships. If there's trust abounding within your relationship, different pieces of this are going to find its way in. When you think about love not being easily angered and there's trust there, trust is going to slow your response time to, uh, from being angry. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Think about a trusting relationship and the way that that brings itself out. It keeps no record of wrongs because it doesn't have, uh, it kind of gives each other the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't delight in evil. Because here's the thing. Here's what we know about trust is that you can say, okay, okay, 1 Corinthians 13 says always trust. But in all reality, how many times is there a gap that's created between what you expect and what actually happens, Right? And that's what kind of that's what kind of opens up this idea of, of a gap. And we talked last week about how you can resolve that gap and close that gap, and how the Bible teaches us we should close it directly, not be about gossip and not be about um, all these other th- you know not be about gossip and trying to ga- ga- conjure support in some sort of political manner in our communities. No, what we should do is close those gaps um, personally and quickly and, and directly, um, and so that we become more like Christ when we do it. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. So when it talks about always trusting, we know, okay, there are times that we have a gap. You, though, have a decision to make, and it's, only, it's a really only your decision to make, that you can put one of two things inside that gap that's created. You can put suspicion in that gap, or you can put trust in that gap. You could, you could put suspicion in the gap and you could say, oh, well, he always does it that way. Oh, it's just more of the same. He's always late to this meeting. It's just more of the, and you just could, and you talk about, okay, then you read this and it keeps no record of wrongs, right? And you're like, oh, okay. Suspicion has the ability to continue to separate you from all of the ways that God has really designed your relationships to be. But when there's a gap, that's caused between what you expect and what actually took place. You can either put suspicion or trust in that gap. Because here's what we know, that people that trust, they have a confident expectation that fuels investment. They have a confident expectation that fuels investment. Now, we had some brothers in Christ approach me this week, and they wanted to confront me of some sin. And um, running in circles, the series was called Running in Circles, right? And they said, all you've ever done is showed us a square <laughs> and a triangle. But you've never shown us a circle. Like one more. So, I, so I prayed, and I fasted, and I think I came up with a circle concept for you today that I think should work, all right? So we'll see how it goes. When you think about people that trust, <laughs> right, here we go. Yep. All right, there you go. One clap. That's great. First service gave me a full clap, so thanks so much. No. 
So you have, but if you think about people that trust have a confident expectation that fuels investment, that you'll actually have a, an, invest, an expectation that fuels investment that will continue to form confident expectation. And this cycle just continues to strengthen your relationship. But if this circle ever gets broken, whether that's on the investment side or on the expectation side, you're going to start to break in trust. And that's where suspicion can find its way in. If you have a relationship where there's more suspicion than there is trust, you've got to begin to look at whether it's the investment or the expectation. You've got to begin to look at whether it's the, expecting, the, the, the investment or the expectation. If you just have a relationship that you're just naturally suspicious about more than anything, you have to begin to look about what, what really is at play there and how, how can we fight for trust. If love always trusts, we've got to get to the point where we can trust and not live in a state of suspicion with people. we got to live in a, in a state of suspicion with people. So today what I wanted to do is give you just five ingredients for trust real fast before we uh, continue to break down some of the stuff that's going on. Number one, uh, in terms of ingredients for trust, the, the first ingredient that you got to have is understanding. You have to have understanding. Um, and and here's the, you have to be able to simply understand the context of the people that you're with. You have to be like a true listener, like actually appreciate, come to know the person that you're in a relationship with. You have to have understanding. Without understanding, you don't have a proper appreciation for the needs, for the fears, for the sin maybe that that might be present in someone's life. You just don't have any understanding. That good, caring people often get bad reputations because they simply don't take the time to understand the other person. A lot of times, um, they don't take the time to understand, or maybe they don't have the time to simply understand, but, but suspicion finds its way into relationships simply because understanding isn't there. And so a lot of times, you can have these good conversations with people, and maybe you've been, um, maybe you've been in this type of situation where you're just feeling suspicious, or maybe you're angry with somebody that you've, just, you've never talked to, you haven't talked to in a long time, and you're seeing the things that you're doing, and you're just always angry with them, and then you get to the point where you actually have a conversation and understand what their situation in life is, or why they're doing the things that you're doing, and you walk away thinking, oh, I had no reason to be suspicious of that. I had perfect reason to trust is because there's a, a moment of understanding that where you went outside of yourself so that you could actually uh, appreciate where they're coming from, becoming a true listener and becoming a person that actually engages in that type of, that level of relationship. Um, a lot of us are in community groups. About 65% of us weekly are in some sort of a community group setting where they're connecting with each other in community. And what we've been doing over the last number of weeks is we've been just kind of talking through the material. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, some of these groups have said, okay, what, what we need to do is dive in past some of these questions and actually hear the stories of the people sitting around our circle. Like, the, like the, all right, here's uh, where our life has been. Here's how we got here. Here's what we're struggling with. Here's what we have great joy in. And here's where we have great success. And we're just kind of hearing these stories of the people around. And it just naturally took its route. It, it happened just very naturally in the, in the lives of our groups, which I'm so excited about because it's, it's the Lord bringing us like another layer and another level into, um, into relationship and connecting with each other. And we're going to continue to take steps towards that with all of our groups, um, but you can see how this understanding, these beginning to understand the stories of people's lives will begin to just fuel 
and form deep, trusting community. I mean, that's awesome to do, but it, but it starts with understanding. The next ingredient for trust after understanding is you have to figure out motive. What is the motive for this relationship? A lot of times, people are just innocently looking out for themselves, and, or maybe perhaps not innocently, maybe they actually are just looking out for themselves. And you have to have, you have, to have a, a healthy understanding of what the motive is. Uh, and you have to be able to say, okay, is this is something healthy? Is not. But a lot of times in our relationships, we are just not thinking, maybe about 90% of our relationships are like this, but we're just actually just trying to figure out um, how to innocently look out for ourselves. We, our brains came up with this, our brains are, are fueled and formed by this thing called the fight and flight reflex. Praise God for that, right? Your body's trying to keep you alive. That's a great thing to praise and thank God for. Amen? No? Maybe not. Okay, cool. Maybe you don't have one of those. I don't know. Maybe you do. But you have this idea where, where you have a fight or flight. And a lot of times, trust, well, most of the time, trust, the higher level of trust you have, the, the, um, the more resolve and more peace that you'll have from this fight or flight, whether or not you want to know if someone's going to stab you in the back or not, right? That's gone because your trust level is so high. So this, when you are in a corner for deep, true connection, you are not going to be innocently looking out for yourself. You are going to risk it all so that you can be for the other person. You are going to be about them, celebrating them, telling everyone about them. Like this is corner four true relationship is not just this innocently looking out for yourself. Maybe I won't get in trouble. If I, if I need to, there's always an exit that I need to take. That's not corner four relationships. Corner four relationships are going to get you to the point where you are all in, whether that's with you personally, maybe it's with your church, maybe it's with your job, but you're just in and you could be, I'm just a part of it. I would even, I would choose to go there if I didn't even have to. Like this is, this is relationship at its best. When your motive is pure and there's corner four connection, you're not just innocently looking out for yourself, you're all in. And so there's motive. The next thing you got to understand is, um, is, is the ability. You have to consider the ability. It's the competency of the person to actually be in a corner for trusting relationship. And this is this, the ability to, maybe it's, maybe it's either competency to support you in some sort of way or your competency to support somebody, or it's capacity. Is that person even have the time? Does that person even have a time to be in this type of a relationship. And you, have to you do have to bring this type of competency into the question because you know, it, it, kind of the, one of the, the hardest things to do is to get into a relationship where you just realize, okay, this, there's, there's nothing going on here, right? You kind of enter in. It's already corner one. You're like, good, good talk. All right, I'm never, this is never going to happen again. Okay, sounds good. You, know, you have to consider the ability for that person to be able to do that. Um, but after ability... The thing that comes, a lot of times what we do is we, we kind of look at competency as like, all right, we really want to meet with this person because they're really going to make us smarter and they're really going to help us out and they're really going to be our peacemaker. Maybe they're going to be our rescuer, all that stuff. It's the ability to actually do it. The, but the thing that we, we kind of forget a lot is number four is character. Like, does this person have a character that you would want to emulate? A lot of times we, we sacrifice character for competency, and I would say, man, that's just kind of the opposite that we need to do. Now, a lot of times, character is what God's trying to build within you. He's trying to build a heart that looks like him. And he's trying to build a life that's resilient and founded on the faithfulness of God. 
But a lot of times we, we kind of forget that character and we say, man, this person's really smart. This person's connected. This person's trust, you know, I can trust this person because he's going to get me somewhere or she's going to get me somewhere. And we say, okay, we're looking at competency, we're looking at capacity, and we're inspired by that. But really, in all reality, we can't forget, that's a good, important thing, but we can't forget the character of the person. you got to consider, is this person pessimistic or optimistic? Because there's nothing worse than having, in a, in a, in a, in a kind of a crisis, to have a pessimistic person sitting there right next to you. Right? You have to consider, is this person soft and, or rigid? You have, to, you have to consider the personality of the person about how, because you're going to get fueled by this person. You're going to get fueled by them. And so you need to be, consider uh, what's going on. The higher you get in leadership, the more and more important this becomes. A lot of times our lids become, at, at the Global Leadership Summit, they talk about this every week, uh, every year. Your lid can simply become your ability to emotionally respond and be aware of other people. So your character, not just... Not just if you can do things, but how you do them. We, I've seen the, the most smartest, brightest, competent people in the whole wide world just be the absolute biggest jerks, and nobody wants to be around them. Nobody, they're smart, but they're just, nobody likes them. And guess what happens? You have no influence because nobody wants to be around you. It's not just if you can do it. It's how you actually do it. It comes down to your personality and your character. And lastly um, is track record. Not only should you be trusting of somebody, but you should be trustworthy for people as well. Now, trustworthiness simply means worthy of trust. Thank you. I'll be here all day, right? <laughs> Look that one up myself. Worthy of trust. Like, are you worthy of someone's trust? Are you worthy of someone's trust? See, here's the deal. Your brain, when you're making decisions and when you're interacting with the world, it's making maps all the time. It's, it's constantly making directions and frameworks and trying to figure out how it can best make the decisions that I'm making, how to best make sure I'm, I'm cared for and covered. And so it's making all of those maps. And when you're considering whether you should trust someone and be in a relationship with them, the name of the map that your brain is creating is called the last time. Well, the last time I did this with them, this is what happened. The last time I told them this, this is what they did. The last time we were in this situation, here's how I felt. The last time we were in this situation, or the last time I, I worked with this person on this time, here's what happened. The last time they didn't text me back, here's what, ha- here's what was going on. And your brain is making these maps called the last time. And the track record of the person that you're in a relationship with is considering whether or not they're a trustworthy person. But we all know that 2 Corinthians 5 that says that we are all made new creations when we meet Jesus and that he's making our track records pure and clean in him, covered by his blood. So we can find trust. Now, there's, there's two different things that are going to stop you from putting trust in that gap. If there's a gap created and those are the ingredients of trust that you can put in within that relationship, there's two things that are going to stop you from doing that. The first thing is going to be is is, is, uh, is who you are. And it's, that's the mirror. When you look yourself in the mirror. A lot of us are suspicious by nature. We just have this suspicion about us. And it could be because of how you were raised or maybe you went through a really tough season in life or whatever the reason is. 
but you just have a natural suspicion about you. And for you, it's safer to withhold yourself and to be more cynical than it is to actually be corner number four for people and be all in. And so you withhold your trust and you withhold your, your support until you know without a shadow of a doubt that it's something worthy of your support and something worthy of your trust. And so who you are could be one of your barriers. But the other, the other thing that could be stopping you is, is what you see. And it's the glasses that you put on. Now for you, the, the glasses, the, the things that you see in terms of those five ingredients, you, you might not have an understanding of what's going on. And so you won't have the trust. Maybe you see the track record that that person has and you are deciding not to trust them. Maybe they don't have the ability or maybe their motive is wrong. And it's the things that you see, the, sometimes the perspective that you have that's saying, you know, this person is not going to be a trustworthy corner for a relationship. But the important part is, is that we're working towards the trust that 1 Corinthians 13 says that we need to have when we love people the way that Jesus loved us. You know, the biggest gap ever known by man existed between us and God. And 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, um, there was a, another gap that was started. And, and, and on Palm Sunday, just you know, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem, the nation of Israel had a trust gap. They had an expectation Full trust, because they knew that the Messiah was going to come riding into the city, and deep in their bones, they believed that the Messiah was going to bring political peace through all of the nation of Israel. Everything was going to get put back together, and the nation was going to be ruled by Jerusalem. It was going to be ruled by Israel again. They had this deep belief in their bones about who they were, about who they were, and they had these deep expectations about who the Messiah was. And, and so they were expecting him to come riding in on a white horse with a sword. And so a bunch of people were going to gather around, and, uh, the whole nation gather around. Literally, they would have, the, the nation of, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem was probably about 60,000 population uh, week to week. At this time frame, during Passover, it would have seen uh, probably over 250,000 people just jam this area. It's like the city of Cumberland becoming the city of Providence overnight. And these people are gathering around the streets because they know the Messiah is coming. They know the Messiah is going to come. He's going to put all things back together. And so they start waving their palms and say, Hosanna, Hosanna, come and save us. And what they're actually saying is, I want you to save the world the way that I want you to. Here, here's what I, I want you to save the world according to my own expectations. I trust in you, I believe in you because I know that you're going to do exactly what I want you to do. And so Jesus is supposed to come in on a white horse with a sword and he's going to lead an army to overtake Israel again. And Jesus comes in on a donkey making the biggest political statement that's ever been made to say the kingdom of God is not about that. It's about this. It's not about your expectations. 
See, some of us have relationships right now that have gaps. Whether it's a relationship with you, maybe, maybe it's an organization that you're a part of, but you have a relationship that are, there are some gaps. And deep down in your bones, you say, everything's going to be fine as long as what I see is done. And all that perspective is, is you holding a palm saying, Jesus, you're going to save me exactly the way I want you to. And Jesus is saying, man, there's gaps in your life. These trust gaps in your life are going to be healed by me. That although there's a gap between us and God, God closes the gap. And because we can trust in him, we have the ability to trust in others. We have the ability to be trustworthy and to be trusting. And, and, and in this relationship, we have these things that we waving them in the air, saying, God, come and save us. But in all reality, we're saying, come and save us the way we want you to save us. And so today on your way, and you should have received one of these palms. Perhaps you already made it into the cross that us New Englanders like to do. And for you, this palm could, could mean all sorts of different things, but maybe it's a relationship that you don't have any trust with and you need to, you've been shrinking, you've been trying to shrink the gap by yourself according to your own expectations. And God's saying, man, you need to give that to me. That I'm the creator, you're the creation. Maybe you've been trying to do things your own way for a long time. Maybe you have never believed that Jesus even cares, let alone, I mean, love me, maybe, let alone, let alone that. I mean, I believe he has to love me, but does he even like me? What I want you to do is you, you've, been, you've been expecting things from God, or you've been expecting things from your relationships. In light of Palm Sunday, what I want you to do is I want you to come and say, you know what, I'm going to lay this down at the foot of the cross and pick up all that God has for me. I thought, I thought horse, he came in on a donkey. I thought sword, and he brought peace. I thought overthrow the government, and he said, there's sin in our hearts that need to be changed. This Palm Sunday, I pray that our gaps can close because we're laying our expectations down at the feet of Jesus and letting him heal us so that we can become more like him. So today the, the band's going to play here in a second. And what I want you to do is just, if that's you today, I want you to come up and I want you to throw your palm just at the, up here on the stage with the others. Maybe take a moment to pray and say, God, I want you to heal my expectations. I want you to heal these gaps that I have in my life so that I can trust you and ultimately build trust with others. Jesus, we come before you this morning and we just, we, we lay this stuff at your feet. We ask you to heal us of all of the ways that we try to close these gaps ourselves, all of the ways that we try to earn your love, all the ways that we try to heal ourselves, all the ways that we try to make peace within our own lives. We, we give them to you right now, God. And instead of waving palms that celebrate our expectations, God, we pick up a cross like you did. 
and lay down ourselves in front of you so that you can heal us, so that you can change us, and we can look more like you. God, I pray today that the announcement of Palm Sunday isn't that God is going to change the world according to our own expectations, but that God's going to change me according to his plan. God, do that in us today. In your name.